them for the amazing privilege to stand before you today. It's always a joy to bring the Word of God. It's a mixed bag, if you will, for me. It is a uh, combination of fear and excitement. Uh, Fear only in the sense that I don't think there's any man who stands in a pulpit or a lady who would share a song that doesn't want to bring God glory or or bring the Lord some sort of um, exalted view for the people to see. I I really want that. Uh, But it's still something that needs to be handled correctly. And I appreciate the opportunity. And thank you, Chris, for asking me to do this. The text this morning contains one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. Many of the leaders and prominent characters in Scripture are best known for what they may have done. Like you think of a David with his pinpoint accuracy slingshot to the forehead of Goliath. Or you think of Moses standing before an amazing uh, army of Egyptians and Pharaoh himself and boldly unleashing plagues from God. Those are the things that I think of when I think of greatness. I think of somebody who is able to to perform mighty works. Well, Daniel did a lot of great things. Don't get me wrong. But what Daniel is known for the most is something that we can identify with in the greatest way. And that is Daniel loved, served, trusted in, and believed God. And that was the mark of this. One commentator pointed out that an obvious feature of Daniel chapter 6 is the fact that there aren't a lot of details about some of these events that take place. We're not privy to all of the reasons, for example, why uh, the, the people conspired as they did. We don't know all of those. But we do know this. We know enough to know that this is a big picture of a man of God who trusted in his God. So let's pray and let's ask God as we read the word that he would open our minds because it's difficult to study or read and not check out on a story as familiar as the lion's den and Daniel. So let's don't check out. Let's believe God. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the privilege. Thank you for Uh, the opportunity I have to share and preach the Word of God. And Lord, I ask that you would be glorified through it and open our eyes, open our ears to be able to see and hear what the Spirit of God would be saying to us today. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. 28 verses, let's go through it because I believe it's worth reading, taking the time to read this passage. Daniel 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give account, so that the men might suffer, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. Now let me just pause there to say that some of you might be reading from the ESV, a version that uses the word presidents, and those words even in the uh, different versions of the ESV are interchangeable with high officials, so I don't want that to throw you. Daniel was one of those 
presidents. Verse 4, Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you've signed, and makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be charged, nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep f- fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths 
and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, listen to this, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They and their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And that's the reading of this passage today. God bless the reading of his word. First point this morning as we jump into this amazing story is that there had been a big change in the government. We all know how big transitions can be in governmental institutions. Uh, we saw that in 2020. We've seen this uh, in the history of the United States. We've seen this in the history of other countries who are both foes and allies to our country. And as we resume this uh, story today, there's been a big change in government. And our principal character, Daniel, has now served through yet another transition to yet another king. He's on king number three now. And Daniel, though, who was promoted, as we're going to see in a moment, by Belshazzar, it's ironic, isn't it, that Darius, this Mede now who's come in and taken over, uh, he did not do what so many administrators and new presidents or new rulers, they don't come in and just, they usually come in and wipe out everybody from position. They put their own people in. I don't know why, but Daniel, who had served all of these kings for 70 years, first the Babylonians and, and the, you know, throughout the Chaldeans and now with the Medes and the Persians, he's been serving faithfully for 70 years. And Daniel is now under the rule of Darius the Mede. But Daniel did see nothing but faithfulness in God throughout his whole life. Just a quick review about the sustaining power. And that's a theme that I believe God's going to give us as we see what happens throughout the book of Daniel. A theme of God's sustaining power happened, first of all, in Daniel's life when he chose what would be the, the, the uh, food of God rather than the rich food of the king's table. Daniel did not want to eat from the king's table. He wanted to do what God had led him to do, and he appealed, and he saw the faithfulness of God, how God sustained him, made him actually prosper physically uh, while he was on what he was doing. God was also with Daniel in chapter 2 with Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel was promoted because he was able to dream uh, understand these dreams that Nebuchadnezzar had. 
uh, God was sustaining the three Hebrew children who were friends with Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in chapter 3 with the fiery furnace when they would not bow before the idol. Chapter 4, Daniel once again is appearing before Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel was a Jewish exile, yet spoke fearlessly to this pagan king and helped him through yet another dream. Then we read about Belshazzar. God sustained Daniel under him as well when the handwriting was literally on the wall. The handwriting was on the wall. And while Daniel lived through that experience, Belshazzar was not long for the world. At the close of chapter 5, before Belshazzar's demise, he once again promotes Daniel and puts on him a, a robe of, of purple and a gold chain around his neck. But that very night, Belshazzar's life ended in assassination. And the new sheriff in town was an, a man by the name of Darius, who was a Mede. So this was a, bio, a diabolical plot. That's what this was. This is a, a plan now that's going to start unfolding in Daniel's life. Now again, the, Darius is king, and he, for whatever reason, leaves Daniel in place. Daniel is not going to be put out. Daniel was not a Mede. Daniel was not a Persian. Daniel was a Jew who had been there all throughout this entire time. And yet Daniel had the favor of this new king. For whatever reason, we don't know why, but it, it wasn't just Daniel's allegiance to God. It could be said that it was more of a situation that, that he received favor from Darius in spite of his allegiance to God. That would be more typical, wouldn't it? For a king like Darius to resent a man whose soul and total heart and allegiance was not to him, but was to God. But for whatever reason, Daniel had that favor. He was one of these three presidents, one of these three high officials. And underneath all of them were 120. This word is, a word is kind of a little different, satraps. And it's basically just like a governor, a, a counselor, he's someone of authority, charge. Uh, he was over all of them too. And not only them, but then there are these other people, governors, counselors, prefects. They're all, every one of them answering to these three presidents, of which Daniel is one. But that wasn't the end of the story about Daniel's position. Because the Bible tells us that they were there, that Daniel was there, so that the king would not suffer loss. Uh, it's interesting that Daniel trusted God, but Darius trusted Daniel. Daniel trusted God, but Darius was willing to put Daniel in this position as one of the three, and yet he had greater plans than that. He intended on putting him over all of the kingdom. He was going to pull, if you will, what Pharaoh did with Joseph and lifted him up. Joseph went from being in the pit to the prison to the palace. And Joseph is now over all of the kingdom. And that's what I believe that the Bible teaches that Darius wanted for, for Daniel. 
And all, it says in the word, was because of Daniel's character and this thing called the excellent spirit that was within him. Well, while King Darius had all of this excitement about Daniel, the other people didn't. His peers did not. His peers, those other two presidents, the 120 satraps, and all of the other leaders underneath them were really unhappy. And they formed a collusion. We hear a lot about the word collusion in this day and age. Well, they had a collusion. They were working together. They came together and they decided, well, we've got to find something on this man. So they, I don't know if they hired a private investigator. I don't know if there was some sort of Mede or Persian private eye that they hired to go in and, and check him out. It was a Magnum PI Persian version. I don't know if it was any of that, but they tried to find something of disqualification of this man. They worked hard. They worked long. They searched in. I don't know if they could have access to his bank accounts. Uh, you know, we know he didn't have a Facebook page back in that day, so I don't know exactly what they did. But they came back together with a report. And you know what the report was? It was such a beautiful report. We find nothing on him. There's no dirt to be found. There's nothing that could be done. Oh, my goodness. You know, as they're looking at all these things, there could be three things. There could be three reasons why I think that they were wanting to find dirt on him. Why they were looking so hard to disqualify him. Number one, it could have been because of jealousy. James 3.16 says, where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there is every evil thing. Every evil thing. Perhaps it was the fact that they knew Daniel would never sanction or go along with any of their devious plots, their evil plans, their behavior. Or perhaps it was as simple as this. They didn't like him because he was a Jew. They were prejudiced. Let's face it, Daniel was not one of them. And verse 13, they even articulate that by highlighting him and attributing to him the fact that he was an exile. He was not from our land. But for all of their efforts, they could not find a single thing. Daniel was squeaky clean. But they did notice one thing. Daniel had an amazing, unwavering, undeniable faith in God. And I don't know exactly how, we, again, we don't have those details. They came up with this plan. But they summarized it in the Bible. The, the writer of this summarized this by saying it had to be something connected to Daniel and his love of God and his God's law. And so with that as a direction, they made a plan. And their plan was so interesting. It was an edict. It was to be a proposal, if you will, that they would all bring, again, all together. They came in agreement, the scripture says, to the king. And they brought this plan, and it was a plan, it was a 30-day plan. It was a temporary law. Not a big deal, king. Not a big deal, but here is a 30-day plan, and, and we're going to do this, king, because you're so great. Oh, king, live forever. We have a plan that no one in the kingdom... No one at all should be able to make any petition or prayer to anybody 
God or man except you. That was the plan. You, O king. You, O king. All they had to do, they thought, was to sell this to the king. And they did it with flattery. They did it with guile. They did it in agreement. O king, you are the one who could stand between all the gods and man. You alone. And it's something about pride, isn't it? Flattery and pride. Pride fills the heart. Pride blinds the mind. When we are full of ourselves, you know, we, we see that uh, a fun story about the Grinch and when he suddenly came into understanding what is right, his heart grew several times its size. Flattery has this growing impact on our brain. Our brain swells. And it, it stops other reasoning. When we are suddenly giving in to something, we saw that happen with Herod when he receives worship, basically. Herod thought it was kind of cool. We, we see this in, in the life of, of uh, the Uzziah, when Uzziah decided, I'm going to be able to do what a priest does. And I'm going to be able to offer uh, to God a sacrifice like a priest does. Pride blinded him as well. Well, all of these officials had this idea and it worked. He took the bait. It was a baited hook to a pagan king. And Darius took it. They added the sanction of the day. And that sanction of the day was they backed it up with this thing called the law of the Medes and Persians. And, and it was basically this. It was fine print on a contract. It was a document that could not be revoked. It could not be backed out of. It was unbreakable. Published in writing by the king himself. And to their unbridled joy, and I can only imagine the smugness on their faces when he did this, the king signed it. Number three, Daniel's response to this edict. Don't think for a moment that this evil plot was ever intended just to stop Daniel from offering a prayer. The enemy's plans are always greater than what they actually tell us they are. We see that over and over in history. They had in their mind a concocted plan that was going to culminate in Daniel becoming lion food. They knew what his response would be. And although they set a 30-day time limit on this moratorium, on this injunction, they knew that 30 days was way more than they needed. In fact, they knew that they only needed one day. Because one day would be enough to put Daniel on the chopping block. And so they wanted to get rid of this good, goody two-shoes guy forever. And all they did was, in agreement again, they came and they stood outside that window where Daniel lived because they knew his habit. They knew what could be expected. They knew that he would not let them down, and he didn't. When Daniel heard about it, he goes home, he opens up the doors toward Jerusalem, the windows of his of abode in the upper chamber, and he began praying, just like he always did. Now, it's important to realize that Daniel did this knowing about the injunction. He did this knowing that if he broke the injunction, he could have taken what many people do when a new law passes down. Well, you can't do this anymore. And we think, well, some people say, well, I can't do it now. It's, it's the law. I can't, I can't do that. 
I, I can't, you know, I, I can't go here because they're saying you can't do this. Uh, there are times that the Bible gives us very clear direction that we're to obey God and not man. That is true in our history too in the United States. That is true. And we all in this day and age might find ourselves having to face accusers one time and we have that decision as well. Are we going to just cower to what we believe and do away with our prayer life? Uh, Daniel was not that guy. Daniel was not going to be intimidated. Daniel was not going to be stopped. And Daniel didn't just do an emergency prayer meeting either. He did what he always did. Not just one time a day, but three times a day. This wasn't a special time of intercession. He did it every day. J.A. Montyer writes this. In verse 9, Daniel walked into the conspirator's trap. Darius, rather, had walked right into the conspirator's trap. And in verse 10, Daniel placed his head in their noose. Things could hardly look better if you were among Daniel's would-be liquidators. Yeah, Daniel put his head through the proverbial noose. And the reason? Here's why. He loved his God more than he feared the jaws of the lions. He loved his God. Daniel sought God and his goodness more than he craved the approval of the peers who were standing outside listening, waiting, getting the evidence that they needed. And Daniel did not let them down. That was Daniel's response. You know, when, when I see things uh, like this, I'm reminded that we can have courage to pray and we should be praying. I'm convicted as I'm reading this and I'm thinking, you know, would others stand outside my window? Would others, if they were at my business and they're outside my door, would they be surprised if they came in and found me praying? What a wonderful image Daniel had given all of these people. Oh my goodness, but here's why he did it. He, he had a well-worn rug in his room and he knew that on that rug, when he would bow and pray to God three times a day, he knew that he had the presence of God near him. And he loved the Lord. It wasn't merely a stay, a temporary stay on prayer. Daniel knew that Darius had sanctioned a breaking of the first commandment. And Daniel was not going to stand for it. What can we learn from Daniel's devotional life? I believe we can learn this. As I was praying, the Lord spoke and reminded me of the words from James. Fervent, effectual prayer, he said, of a righteous man avails much. But before we can have fervent, effectual prayer, most often it is preceded by fervent, consistent prayer. I don't know that we can ever reach the level of fervency without reaching the level of consistency. And we need to be praying every day. Daniel didn't wait for a crisis to start praying. That's another thing that we can learn about his prayer habit. But he prayed every day, whether he needed it or not. <laughs> and on this day, he really needed it. But the truth of it is, every day we need it. Every day we need to pray. 
He just kept on doing what he had been doing for years. Point four, the noose is tightened. Daniel had put his head into the noose. The satraps were all too happy to tighten it around his neck. But once again, they were very strategic as they approached the king a second time. And when they did, they had in mind now the violator of their newly installed injunction. Hey, king, remember that ordinance backed by the Medes and the Persians? Oh, yeah, King Darius played right into their role. And he actually ends up quoting the same injunction and the same law. And and he's still speaking from that pride and bound and conceited position that he had just fallen into. Man, they had played him like Nero's fiddle. They had him around their finger. Then the satraps laid their cards on the table and informed to the king that Daniel was the guilty perpetrator, this outsider, this exile, this alien is paying zero attention to you, O king. And it was in that moment that Darius woke up. I think he woke from his slumber. He woke from the stupor that pride had caused him to be lost in and blinded by. He worked the rest of that day, the Bible says, till the setting sun to try to come up with a way that he could save Daniel from his own words. A way that he could avoid the pit, the lions, the den that awaited Daniel. You know, Darius clearly loved Daniel. We see that both before and after. But here's something that we need to see. He loved his reputation more. He could say, I love Daniel. And he had plans for Daniel. He was going to put him over the entire kingdom. But when it came right down to it, you know what Darius loved more than Daniel? Himself. His own conceit. His plans. Daniel was secondary to all of that. The love of approval is intoxicating. And that's what Darius had fallen into. The king ordered Daniel to be brought to the mouth of the lion and he gave a simple statement. May your God who you serve continually deliver you. And with that, Daniel was cast into the den and Darius was about to face a long sleepless night. Point five. Now, here we see an interesting thing about this dark night. The dark night of the soul. God was going to sustain Daniel. We all know that. But an interesting thing happens in the scriptures here. The attention goes off of Daniel. Daniel's cast into the depth of the lions. And we don't hear about him until next morning. Who we hear about is Darius. Darius has a fitful night. He's up all night. Uh, Normally me, maybe they would have brought him food and sandwiches. Maybe they would have brought in a a harpist to come in and play music to soothe his troubled spirit. We don't know all of those details. But he says there were no diversions brought into him. He could not sleep. Sleep fled from his eyes. A long, dark night. It was a difficult night to go through. But early the next morning when light came... Darius is already up and he's on his way. And the Bible says, with great haste, he's making his way to that den. And he couldn't even wait to get to the mouth of the den before he shouted out in excitement, Daniel, are you alive? 
did God save you? Daniel, are you in there? I didn't sleep at all last night. I was just tossing and turning and tossing and turning. Daniel, are you there? And I think for a moment we have to pause on this story and realize what we would be like if we had been Daniel. First of all, you're in a a dark, damp place with a bunch of beasts around you breathing on you. I can't imagine what that would be like. I can't imagine what was his state of mind all throughout that night. Did Daniel sleep? I don't know. We don't know for sure. We'll never know. But I can tell you one thing we can learn about Daniel, and that's in his first response back when he opened his mouth to say something to the king. Oh, king. Live forever. Isn't it interesting that those words were the same words that the satraps use when they approached the king? But I have a feeling it was coming from a much different place of heart. A much different type of character was uttering these words. And the Bible gives us an excitement because of an exclamation point that's there. Oh, king. Live forever. Obviously, Daniel was alive. And he says this, My God. The first words out of his mouth after addressing the king with excitement is, yep, my God, the one who you said I continually serve, he put his angel in charge of me. And he shut the mouths of the lions. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And you know what, king? I I never really did anything against you either. I have done you no harm. Now see, the truth is, I think that the king had come to see that already. I do believe that. I, I think the scripture would show us that what King Darius is about ready to do Uh, says that he had awakened. He had gotten out of that stupor. Daniel was brought up without a scratch. But then Darius calls for all of the people who had maliciously had this idea, who had this stupid idea of a 30-day injunction. Bring them here, but not just them, their families too, their wives, their children. And they were all brought in And it's a horrible picture what happened to them before they ever reached the bottom. Unlike Daniel who lived the entire night, who was there among the lions, who probably felt their breath against his skin, before these people, all of them, hundreds of them without a doubt, thrown into that den and they were were taken care of by those lions before they ever reached the floor. Before they ever hit bottom, their bones were broke into pieces. As we come to the close, another decree now is about ready to happen from this King Darius. Regardless of his bad decisions, Darius is on a mission now to make things right. Another decree, and he makes it not just to the people of his kingdom. He makes it to all of the peoples of the earth. He makes a declaration 
and he says to all peoples that Daniel's God is the living God, enduring forever, and whose dominion will last to the end. God sustained Daniel through his many years under those different kings while in captivity. He sustained Daniel through rejection of his peers, through the threat of violence. He sustained Daniel through the dark night of the valley of the shadow of death when predators surrounded him as he could feel the breath of the very lions that should have destroyed him. And at that point, when Daniel was delivered, only to see God be exalted and glorified. God was then glorified by Darius. Uh, some application points I'd love to, to share as just before we stand, and maybe as the worship team comes up. These are the questions that I ask myself in this familiar story. And I pray that we ask them as a church. I pray that we trust the sustaining power of God in our own lives. Number one, do I trust the sustaining power? Do I trust it? Do I trust you, Lord? Number two, is my prayer life as systematic and important to me as it should be? I think this is an important question. If not, what's keeping that from happening? Because if there's one thing that we can learn from Daniel's life is that we can pray consistently like he did. And we may well need it like he did. Let's not wait until a crisis happens before we have a relationship with God in prayer. We need to be praying, as the Bible talks about, consistently constantly in prayer number three do i continue to trust god when a change occurs in my employment or in the health of a family member god sustains us through those times and number four do we know what daniel knew that his god was the god and that he is good right, true, and faithful. I had a morning recently that was unlike most of my mornings. I woke up, and while my eyes were just in that first couple of moments of kind of being able to see clearly in the room, something happened in my heart. I, it was unexpected. It was delightful. All of a sudden, it was just as if God opened up a whole section of my understanding. And I began to hear the words, He is good. The Lord is good. His plans for me are good. And God is good. And then I began hearing the song that we're about ready to sing here. And what I, I'm hearing this, for I know that you are God and you are good. You're faithful, you're ageless, you're holy, you're righteous. All of the things, all of these things about it, and I'm, I'm still laying there. It's early in the morning. I haven't really even come fully awake, and I am rejoicing in my heart. And it's like the Lord said, you need to remember that I am with you, that I am good.
I'm convinced that we don't remember that often enough. I know I don't remember that often enough. I don't remember how many times he's delivered me. I don't remember how many times I, like Daniel, have been at wit's end and I needed an answer. If I didn't get an answer, then I was going to be eaten up by the lions. Or when you think about the times that you hear a report from one of your coworkers, and it's, it's basically they're having you for lunch. And you feel that aloneness and you feel the betrayal of a friend who has led you now right to the table of the enemy. And they had you for lunch. And you feel the disappointment. But the Lord reminded me in that moment as I'm laying there, I am good. I'm going to see you through. I got up. I began to rejoice. I began to sing. I, I, this song, I, the lyrics were rolling over and over in my mind. And I, I put it on my phone. And I just began to listen to the joy of the Lord that comes from when we learn what Daniel most certainly knew. When we experience what Daniel most certainly experienced in that den, that the God who is the God, his God, was with him and was sustaining him and bringing him through. Whatever, friends, you and I are going through, whatever the battle is, whatever the trial is, whatever the problem is, whatever the trouble financially may be. We serve a God who is a sustaining God, who is powerful, who is able, who loves us, and he wants to remind us that he